We're going to be finishing our series in the book of 1 Peter today. 1 Peter is a, a letter we find in the New Testament, second part of the Bible. And we've been working through it over the last few months. And we've been reading the words of Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples. And uh, he became an apostle, one set uh, different uh, cities and nations with the good news of Jesus to go and plant churches and strengthen churches and uh, bring his wisdom uh, into different situations. And he's writing to some churches in what is now Turkey. And uh, he's encouraging them because they are finding life quite difficult because they're in a minority where they are. They're, there's not many Christians around. And they're feeling the pressure of what it is to be very, very different in a world that doesn't embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Peter is encouraging them to fix their eyes on the glory that is awaiting them. He's encouraging them to fix their eyes on the eternal glory that will be theirs when Jesus returns and when they will be with Jesus forever face to face in a newly uh, created earth, a beautiful renewed earth without sin and sickness and suffering. He's saying, fix your eyes, fix your hope on this. Don't run away from the world or hide away. Don't uh, conform and just be like everyone else, but instead fixing your eyes on the hope that is to come, live different lives that people might look on and see, wow, there's something within these people. There's a hope within them that they would ask about. And so we now come to Peter's final uh, words to them in uh, chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 1 to 4 now. And then we're going to read verses 5 to 11 later on. So here we go. Verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So Peter's first remarks in this chapter are two leaders. We're going to look at leadership in a little, uh, for a little while. And then we're going to come on to looking at anxiety in verses 5 to 11. And I think there is not one person here that is in uh, some way affected by anxiety. And these are going to be really, really vital verses uh, for us. But leadership, this is such a, a, a formational passage for us uh, as to how we understand leadership in a local church. It's one of the key passages that really inform how we go about uh, structuring ourselves uh, in leadership here at Hope Church. We believe that when a leadership is healthy, the church will be healthy. When a leadership is unhealthy, a church will be unhealthy. And so it's these kinds of verses that we're looking to, to see what are we to be like? How are we to act? And we see a few things here. Firstly, we see Peter, an apostle, writing to the church. We believe in apostolic ministry today. And we look to the likes of Morris and Steph Liston and Mike Betts, who have both spoken here uh, last year. We look to them for their input and wisdom, uh, fatherly wisdom in our church life. Now, Peter is doing that for this church or these churches in Turkey. Secondly, we see that he's writing to elders, plural. And we're going to come on to that in just a moment. 
But also as we look at other passages in the New Testament, like 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 uh, and elsewhere in um, Acts, we see that there were deacons. There were uh, other uh, types of leaders uh, who serve in specific ways to specific people. They don't have general oversight like elders do, but they have uh, specific ministry to specific people. So it's our conviction at Hope Church that we have... uh, Apostles speaking into our church and uh, helping us to stay uh, true to uh, New Testament convictions who we might visit from time to time. We might spend time with from time to time. But we have elders and we have deacons. That's our conviction, okay? And we're actually going to be appointing some more deacons uh, this year, which I'm really excited about. Um, Just keep your eyes out and your ears out for that news in the weeks and months to come as we share that. But we're excited about appointing more deacons who will further strengthen us. But we have a team of elders here, and it's elders plural, okay? We don't believe that there's anywhere in the Bible that speaks about churches being led by one person. We don't believe in one-man ministry, That's really important. I want you to be skeptical when you hear someone describe themselves as a priest, okay? Because we're either all priests or we're not priests, okay? Because Peter, just a couple of chapters before, is saying we are a royal priesthood. As a church, we have access to God through Jesus, the great high priest. So we're not looking to, to one person to do some magic bits for us in order to draw near to God. So we'd be skeptical about people who say that they are a priest, We're skeptical about those who say, well, I am the leader here, because actually we see a plurality of leadership here. That's how we do it. At Hope, we have a team of elders. I am one of eight elders here. We also use the word pastor, and uh, we'll see why in a minute, because it's in this passage. Um, We have two of the eight elders are on staff, myself and Tim Virgo, who is on sabbatical right now. And we have another six elders, Morris, who you've just heard from, Ian, who's been anchoring things today, Nick, who we heard from a little bit earlier on, Len, uh, Tommy, and Mark. And these guys are co, we're co-elders together. I have a, a role within the team of bringing some leadership, but I am no more of an elder than these guys. We are together as a team. And we see that as a biblical pattern, Okay. And uh, so I just want you to kind of see this. This is why we do this. Now, you might be thinking, hang on a minute. Uh, These are all men. What's the deal with that? It's 2023, for goodness sake. You might be thinking that. Well, we're not so bothered about what 2023 says. We're bothered about what the Bible says, okay? And uh, we, we love and respect churches that see this differently. We partner with them. That's okay. That's, that's you know, we, 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 we can see that they might uh, see things a little differently. But our conviction... As we look at the scriptures, as we look at places like 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and as we see through the scriptures, there are no incidences of a woman being called an elder. Uh, We see that actually the the role of an elder is for called and qualified men. Okay? And so we see that elders are not to uh, do everything. They're not the only leaders in the church. They're the ones who actually bear the ultimate responsibility before God. Just as we were sharing a couple of weeks ago about husbands being heads in their household. It doesn't mean that they do everything. It doesn't mean they boss their uh, wife around or anything like that. But actually bear the ultimate accountability before God for the flourishing of their household. So elders are to bear the ultimate accountability before God for the spiritual household, the church that they serve. That's what we see. 
And we see men and women playing very, very key roles right across the life of the church, even as you have today. So that's some convictions of ours when it comes to eldership. Another conviction we see here is that Peter writes to the elders among you. This is such an important thing. Okay, elders aren't people who stand on a stage and then get whisked off in a, in a fancy car somewhere to their very you know, opulent mansion. No, no, elders are to be among the people. I was really thrilled um, speaking to a guy who's not from this country originally, uh, who was part of this church for a year or so, and uh, he and his wife have moved uh, to another part of the country now uh, for work, and they're actually joining in with a relational mission church plant. And he said to me, it was striking to him how the elders in this church are just normal people. And I, I was so blessed to hear that. He said, you're not kind of just up on a stage and then whisked away. You're in amongst people. But his experience was that elders or pastors in, their, in his churches in the past were so revered, they were untouchable, unchallengeable, kind of whisked away, as it were, as soon as the service was finished. But Peter's saying, is the elders among you, being in community, amongst the flock, as it were. This is the conviction that we have, that elders are to be servant-hearted. And I, can, I won't speak for myself here, but I can speak for my fellow elders that each one of these men are servant-hearted men, whether it's Len out in the cold welcoming people on the welcome team in the winter months, or Tommy serving on the youth team, or Nick in the refreshments team, in different ways, serving the life of this church, serving people through being hospitable, having people in their homes, caring for people. These are servant-hearted men. So Peter then says to the elders, be shepherds of God's flock, which is under your care. Now the word shepherd here, uh, in, if you speak Spanish, you will know this to be true. Shepherd is the same word as the word pastor. So if you spoke Spanish, you said pastor, you could be meaning shepherd or you could be meaning church leader. It's the same word, the same thing. And so it's that reason that we use uh, elder or pastor to mean the same thing. Peter is saying, elders, be pastors. Be shepherds of the flock that is under your care. There's to be a, a shepherdly care of the flock. And what do shepherds do? Well, they do two things primarily. They guide and they guard. Can you say guide and guard? Wow. Guide and guard. That's what shepherds are to do. Shepherds guide their sheep in the right direction that they need to go, and they are mindful of the pace at which they're going as well. And that's what we do as elders. We want to lean into what God is saying to us as people bring prophetic words to us, or as we ourselves, as we pray and discern what, what is God saying, uh, we want to kind of glean the direction that God is sending us in as a church. So, uh, autumn time last year, we had some time together as a team, and we, we really felt a rising of faith as we looked at what God was saying through different prophetic words that we were to be multiplying in some different ways. And so this is why, friends, we're looking at multiplying to two Sunday gatherings, as well as uh, looking to see uh, a site or an expression of Hope Church into the southwest of Ipswich, because we're kind of lean in on what God is saying, and we're trying to then direct the church in that way. But we've also got to be mindful of the pace and thinking, are we going too fast? Are we going too slow? These are some things that a shepherd has to uh, encounter and, and, and think through. But you also have to guide by example. That's what Peter says, doesn't he, in verse 3? Not lording it over, but being an example, setting an example. 
And I can tell you, as I've already said, that these guys are men who set an example in hospitality, in service, in care, in uh, compassion, in being men of the word, in being men of prayer. They set an example. Many of them, uh, in more regular jobs, as it were, as well, setting an example in their workplaces. This is what elders are to do. They're to guide through, kind of sensing what direction God is taking us on and, and saying, let's go that way, and leading by example. But they're also to guard, because shepherds understand that sheep can be vulnerable. Shepherds understand that sheep are vulnerable to falling into ditches and being unable to get out again. And that's, that can happen to all of us, can't it? We can find ourselves in places where we get stuck. But sheep are also vulnerable to predators, they don't fight back very well against wolves. And so sometimes elders, pastors, have to fight back against wolves on behalf of the sheep. And that could be in the form of people. And I'm really pleased to say that in nine and a bit years of being in uh, church leadership, I've not had to do this much. But I can think just to think of my previous church in Southampton, there was a guy who, unbeknown to anyone, he had been uh, secretly seducing women and sleeping with them and had slept with a number of women, leading them to believe that they were the one and leaving a whole trail of heartbreak behind him. And the elders of the church had to go to him and say, you are not welcome in this church, you must go and try and patch up the mess. So there's sometimes that is required. I'm grateful to be in team because there has been times when we've had to say that Gladly, not many times. But sometimes shepherds have to confront wolves. Sometimes shepherds have to confront uh, false teaching, have to understand what is it that people are buying into. And that's a part of guarding, is, is leading people to good pastures, leading people to stuff that is going to be good for them. Because there are pastures, there are things that sheep, sheep can chew on that might taste good at first, but they're actually are poisonous. And we've actually got to say, no, no, don't go there. And just have our ear to the ground on some things and say, no, no, don't go there. Go this way. And so we really uh, carry the responsibility for the teaching here in the church. That doesn't mean we do all of it. Teaching's going on all of the time. We have uh, people teaching in our children's work, in our youth work right now, in our life groups, in uh, different ministries, in friendship groups. All sorts of teaching is going on where people are opening up the Bible and uh, encouraging people with it. But we carry the ultimate responsibility for the teaching here. It doesn't mean we will uh, always be giving the Sunday messages, but we will be giving most of the Sunday messages. Because when we gather the flock together, this is a golden opportunity to lead the, sh the sheep, as it were, to good pasture, to, to good teaching, to solid stuff. Last week we heard from Luke, who's not an elder of the church. I was so encouraged by what he brought. Next week, we'll be hearing from Kirsten, who's not an elder in the church, as we kick off a little mini-series on technology and how we can uh, kind of see technology and, and, and uh, honor God in technology. We're going to be hearing from Matt Cornish a little later down the line as well. These are not elders of the church, but we trust that they're going to bring something encouraging to us. And so we will do most of the Sunday teaching, but not all of it, but we take the responsibility for what is taught here. Do you understand? And this is part of an elder's role, to, to, to guide and to guard. So what else does Peter have to say? He says they're not to be in it for financial gain. It's not a career. 
It's not something you go into for the money. You see, the thing is, sometimes that can be the case. And maybe some of you will be familiar with situations and contexts where people have got into it for financial gain. If it's any reassurance to you, I have not done that. <laughs> okay, I took an £8,000 pay cut when I first started working for this church, when, from when I was working as a social worker. And I don't say that to say, oh, woe is me. I'm, I'm happy with what I'm paid. I'm not after more money. But I want you to understand that. None of the elders or any of the other staff here own this for financial gain. But it can be discouraging, can't it, when you look around and you see high-profile uh, situations where people are in it for financial gain. Maybe they didn't start out that way, but it got that way. You need to understand that that is not the case here. But I also want you to understand this. In a time where there are high-profile uh, situations where leaders have failed or they seem to have failed, that the elders of this church are not unchallengeable. Okay? Sometimes in those situations, people have come away saying, I saw something going on and I should have said something, but I didn't think I could challenge. We're challengeable. Okay? You can say, if you, if you see something, you think, this isn't, this isn't right. It's not in line with God's word. We, we are challengeable. We want to receive that, and we would receive that humbly. But I also want you to understand that for every one high-profile uh, falling of a leader, there are hundreds of elders, pastors just getting on with the job. I know that to be true in our family of churches. I know that to be true in the churches in Ipswich with, with which I enjoy good relationship. Pastors, elders, ministers, just getting on with the job. Not in the spotlight, just faithfully serving God. You need to hear that. So elders, be eager to serve. Don't see sheep as an annoyance. They don't see sheep as like, oh, that's so annoying. No, no, this is their heart. I want to care for the sheep. And so I just want to say to, to, to men here, particularly, um, Paul says that he who desires to be an overseer, by that he means elder or pastor, desires a noble task. It's a good thing to desire that. And so I want to encourage you, aspire to have the character of an elder that you see described in 1 Peter 3 or in Titus chapter 1. Aspire to the things that we've just read about in 1 Peter chapter 5. Aspire to those characteristics. And we will need to see more elders raised up. As this church grows, as more and more come into our flock, as it were. By the way, there's probably seven or 800 people that come in and out of this church in some ways. We don't see all of those people as our flock. We see those that have come through our Getting Connected course who have said, I want to become a member here. We see those people and their families as our flock. But we're going to need more elders in the years to come. We're going to need, as we send people to different places, as we multiply more, we're going to need more people who may become elders, but we need people of elder stature, who care for people, who have good character, who are hospitable, faithful to their wife. We need that. So I just want to appeal to you men. Maybe that's in your heart. Give it to God. Bring it to God. Ask him. It's a good thing to desire. Okay, now we're going to move on. Verses 5 to 11. Are you still with me? Yeah. We've got a little bit of time left. Here we go. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. 
Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be power forever and ever. Amen. In these verses, friends, are the key to a peaceful heart. There is no one here that doesn't want to have a peaceful heart. And as I said at the beginning, there's probably no one here that is not affected in some way by anxiety. But in here, friends, believe me, are the key words that we need to take to our hearts in order to know peace in our hearts. But before we come to that, let's just quickly look at what is Peter getting at where he says, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. He's so keen that they don't adorn themselves in fancy ways to draw people's attention to them. He's already talked about that a little bit. And in their society, you know, you would have been able to tell who was rich and who was poor by the way they dressed. It's probably similar now. You would have been able to tell who was a master, who was a slave. Dress kind of meant a lot. And he's saying, if there's one dress that you all got to wear, it's humility towards one another. He's saying, humility looks good on everyone because humility makes you look like Jesus. And this doesn't look like us kind of thinking that we're miserable worms. <laughs> oh, I'm such a miserable worm. I'm a terrible person. How can God put up with me? No, 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 no. It's about living a life that Jesus lived where we don't put ourselves first, but actually we, we, we humble ourselves and put others first. That's what, that's what humility is all about. Paul will say in, in Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition, trying to seek after what I want. You see, that's a virtue in this world. Pride is a virtue nowadays, it seems. You do you, you go after what you want. You are the boss of you. It was probably the same back then, to be honest. It probably hasn't changed much. The, might, the mighty would have been at the top. Everyone else were just, they were, no, they were nothing. They were low lives. Look out for number one. But actually... Humility, Jesus style, is looking out for the needs of others first. And not being conceited. This word conceit, we don't really use very much. It, it means, when, when, we, when we become conceited, it means we, we cease to assess ourselves accurately. We cease to look at the way, who we are accurately. And we become kind of, we get all these funny ideas about who we really are. And what we really need to do is assess ourselves in the light of what God has done for us in the gospel. Tim Keller, great uh, pastor and author who passed away a couple of weeks ago. He says this, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, 
we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Do you get that? Christians, that is true. <laughs> we're more flawed than we could dare to believe. We're more flawed than we're comfortable to believe, really. And yet we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we could ever dare to hope. And when we take this to our hearts, when we daily take it in, when we drink it in deep, it leads to humility because we're not walking around thinking, people owe me stuff. I'm so good. I'm perfect. People owe me stuff. But actually we realize, no, no, if it wasn't for the grace of God, where would I be? When we realize he's poured out, he's lavished upon us favor that we don't deserve. This leads to humility. Humility towards God, which we're going to come on to in a moment, but humility towards one another. We're not seeking our own rights, but rather we're looking to Jesus. And we're seeing that he, the most powerful one, as I shared a couple of weeks ago, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't put his own rights first, but instead humbled himself, took the form of a human, a servant, and laid his life down on the cross. It's as we understand that, it's then we're empowered to love others as he has loved us. It's then that we put others' needs first. It's then we prefer others over ourselves. This is what it looks like. Might we be, more than anything else, a church marked by humility? Not by people who think, I'm, so, I'm too important. But actually those that are just almost, I don't know if it's the right word, but wrecked by the love of God. <laughs> we're, so, we're so in awe of what he's done for us. We're so in awe of the humility of Jesus that we look to others and we see them as more important than us. That's what it looks like to clothe ourselves with humility. We can look to Jesus' example. And we can even submit to those in authority over us and say, I trust God in this because Jesus trusted his Father, even when it was difficult. So let's clothe ourselves in humility towards one another, but let's clothe ourselves in humility towards God. This is what I think is the key, friends, to anxiety. God says, it says here that God opposes the proud and gives favor to the humble. We do not want, the one person you do not want to have opposing you in this life is God. And it says God opposes the proud, but gives favor to the humble. He knows that pride ultimately destroys people. He knows that pride, if left unchecked, it leads to ruin. It does. It leads to a fall. There's no exception. Pride needs to be dealt with. And he knows that at the heart, friends, of our anxiety is pride. And already I've just said those words and you're probably wrestling with that right now in your hearts and minds. But at the, at the root of it is I want to deal with this myself. This issue that I'm worried about, this thing that's on the horizon, this thing that is making me fret, I want to deal with it myself. I should have to deal with this. Instead of letting go and saying, God, this is in your, in your hands. And anxiety is, is a huge, huge problem 
It's a huge problem in our nation. Dare I say it, it's a huge problem even in the church. And I'm not saying this to condemn you. Peter doesn't say, what are you worrying about? There's nothing to worry about. No, he's just listed a whole bunch of things. He said that there's people all across the world are suffering some stuff. He said that there's an enemy you've got who's prowling around looking to devour you. He's just talked about all kinds of things in his letter that maybe rightly we're right to be concerned about. He's not saying, just get over it. But he's saying here, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And what does that look like? It looks like acknowledging I am not God. I cannot handle all of this. He needs to handle this. I need to surrender some things to him. I need to lay over some things to him in order that I can know peace in my heart. I need to understand that he cares for me. He cares for me more than I care about anything in this world. And you might care about some stuff in a big way. His care for you is bigger. His zeal for you is huge. You need to know this. He loves you. He's for you. He wants you to know peace in your heart. He's not cross with you if you're struggling with anxiety. He's not, he's not tutting and folded arms at you. He wants you to know freedom from anxiety. He wants you to come into freedom because he loves you. He's got good for you. And listen, anxiety, when we don't cast our cares to God, when we don't throw them onto him, it leads to all kinds of stuff. This is why I think Peter says, be sober-minded. Because actually, anxiety leads to alcohol use, doesn't it? Not, does it not? How many people are trying to forget the cares that they have? Trying to forget the things that are on the horizon that worry them. Whether it be money issues or health issues or relational difficulties. It leads to alcohol use. It leads to drug use. It leads to porn use. Because people are trying to escape just for a little while. I just want to escape the pressure. just want to escape the anxiety. And God's got better for you. He's a good father. I want you to understand this. Even though I'm raising my voice, I'm doing it so that you stay awake, okay? God's not, not sitting there with folded arms thinking, it's about time you came to me with this. He's for you. He cares for you more than you could know. And he wants you to be free from anxiety. He doesn't want you to be crippled by anxiety. He doesn't want you to be running to things that might give you a 5, 10, 15 minute escape or a few hours escape before you wake up in the morning with a hangover. And then the worries come back again. I was in a bookshop yesterday and I read The Worrysaurus. And, uh, you know, I've got better things to do on a Saturday, but I was with my kids. They were looking at some toys. I picked up a book called The Worrysaurus. And it's a lovely book, but it doesn't really have much good advice for worry. Okay? The Worrysaurus, he gets butterflies in his stomach whenever he starts to think about the future and what might or might not happen. And the advice that he receives, receives twofold, really. Firstly is that, if it's not a happy ending, it just means it hasn't ended yet, okay? So basically, everything's going to turn out all right. And the second bit of advice he receives is, when you feel anxious, get your favorite stick and your favorite pebble and your favorite teddy bear and give them a big squeeze, okay? And we laugh, and what do we run to? It might not be a stick and a pebble. It might not be a favorite teddy bear, but we run to other things, do we not? Listen, that doesn't cut it for a four-year-old. It doesn't cut it for a 40-year-old. We need to go to the one who really does care, whose hand really is mighty. 
But sometimes, friends, we, we, we actually need to discern what it is that we're anxious about. Because sometimes we don't know on the top of it. Sometimes we're kind of walking around with anxiety in our hearts and we don't really know what's going on. And we actually have to kind of do a bit of digging first. I'll tell you how I do it. I go for a prayer walk. I know I'm burdened by something. And I just say, God, help me to understand what it is that I'm burdened by. It might be that I'm looking to a, a, a meeting that's coming up in the week. And I, I think, oh, man, how am I going to deal with that meeting? There's some stuff that I've got to work out here. What's going to happen? But it's really, often, it's not the meeting itself. It's, what, what will they think of me if I don't come across very competent? Or, what if they don't like this idea? What will they think of me? And what's underneath the anxiety is, I'm worried about being rejected. So I've got, to lay, I've got to name that before God, and I've got to call to mind what is true. Lord, you have said that you will never leave me or forsake me. And your opinion is the only opinion that really matters. And you say over me, I'm yours, and that you love me. Do you understand? We sometimes got a bit of digging, friends. This is really important. If you can learn to do this, you'll save yourself a lot of strife. Do a bit of digging. What, what is it that I'm really anxious about? What's underneath it? And I've got to name it before God. I've got to give it to him. I've got to call to mind the promises of God. I've got to call to mind what is really true. You've got, you've got two choices, guys. You can trust self or trust God. Trust self will lead to all kinds of mess. Trust God. Give some things over to him. Name them before him. Philippians 4. Don't be anxious about anything. Well, let's go there. Let's just, rather than me trying to memorize it, let's go there. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, in every situation, so there's nothing that's too small for God. He's not thinking, you're coming to me about that. No, every situation. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And verse 7, and the peace of God. We want this, don't we? Which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Your version might say, let your requests be made known to God. He knows what you need before you even say it. He knows it. And yet he wants us to make our requests known to him. To lay some things out to him. This is the key to dealing with anxiety, guys. To humble ourselves. You see, verses 6 and 7 in 1 Peter chapter 5, they're not in the original Greek. They're not two sentences. Some very helpful people have come along in more recent decades and put in little numbers in our Bibles so we can navigate well. <laughs> but those numbers weren't there. It doesn't say verse 6, verse 7. This is a letter. It says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. It's one sentence. This is linked. We've got to humble ourselves. We've got to acknowledge, I'm not God and you are. I can't handle all of this, but you can. We've got to make our uh, we've got to understand what it is we're actually anxious about. Name it before him. Give it over to him. Recall to mind his promises. This requires us to be in the word. Whether we're listening to it as we're driving or as, whether we're reading it as we're going about our morning routine, we need to know the promises of God so that we can call them to mind and block out the lies of the evil one that will say, well, God's abandoned you. 
He doesn't really have your good in mind. He doesn't really have your, your flourishing in mind, or whatever the lies might be. We've got to make our requests known to him. Friends, do you understand? The gospel is not you get a ticket to heaven one day and there you get to be with God forever. No, no, no. First Peter 3, just a couple of chapters before, Peter says that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he suffered for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. He might bring us to God. Not God one day in the future on this new earth. Yes, that, but now into relationship with God. You've got full access to God. And he wants you to come to him. He wants you to come to him with everything. That we might grow in our dependence on him. Children, we expect that they're going to become less dependent on their parents as they get older. But children of God, as they get older and as they mature more, become more dependent on God. And in every situation, give over to him their cares and concerns. In every situation, making their requests known to him. Friends, he really has got good for you. He, he's rescued you to bring you to himself. In another chapter, Peter would say, to bring you to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. This is who he is. He's the ultimate shepherd. He might ask elders to shepherd in the church, but he's the ultimate shepherd. And he wants you to come to him. We've heard that already this morning. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to hear his voice. How do we primarily hear the voice of the good shepherd? In the Bible. Sometimes people will bring us really helpful prophetic words where they feel God's saying something to someone, it's only ever going to be in line with what the Bible says. It's not going to be contrary to this. We need to hear the words of Jesus, the good shepherd. He's the one who wants to bring peace to our hearts, peace to our souls. And he wants to hear our voice. We heard that in that beautiful prophetic song earlier. He wants us to come to him. Do you understand this, friends? This is what he's won for us. It's not just some transaction occurred that means one day we get this little ticket. I think I've got a ticket to get into heaven. Can I get in, please? It's much more than that. <laughs> He's brought you to himself. And he wants you to enjoy rich, rich relationship with himself. I know that um, this, would have, this would have affected a lot of people today. Talking about anxiety. Let's just look to God together now. Father, we know that when we try and carry burdens by ourselves, ultimately, Lord, we end up in a mess. We want to be those that trust you, that humble ourselves under your mighty hand, that say we trust in the mighty one, that we trust your care, for us and so Father I pray you'll help each one of my brothers and sisters here to understand your posture towards them right now is one of welcome it's not one of folded arms it's one of welcome it's one of 
come to me, child, and we're going we're gonna to deal with this. And I pray, Father, that you would even now just move amongst us by the Holy Spirit, just right across this room, would you still anxious hearts? Would you bring to mind the truth? Holy Spirit, would you lead the people of God into the truth today? The truth of what you say, the truth of your word, your promises. And Father, let it be that we're a people who grow in our dependence on you. We don't try and hold it all together, but who trust that the one who laid his life down for us willingly on the cross can be trusted, can be trusted with our lives, can be trusted with every situation. There's not one situation out of your view or out of your interest. Father, would you help us? Help your people, Lord. We need your help. We need your help, Lord. We really do. So do a work amongst us, we pray now in Jesus' name.